Are Mikel Arteta's Arsenal too defensive? We're going to be discussing that. We're going to be looking back at the Manchester City game and we're going to be briefly discussing the news today about Liverpool and Manchester United's intentions of breaking away for the European Premier League. All that and plenty more to come in today's show. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Harry Simiu. How are you doing? I'm delighted to be joined once again by the brilliant Dan Potts. Dan, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? Damn, good to mate. Very posh, in, posh introduction there, Harry. I know, I know. I, sp- I spent some time on that today. I was quite proud of that. <laughs> Looks good, mate. That. Looks good. How are yeah. you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, just... Uh, Stuck at home, aren't we? It's um, the way of the world at the moment. Things are not getting any better by the looks of it either. And uh, just hoping that football doesn't come to a standstill either, uh, because that would really, I think, push a few of us off of the edge. Um, Don't forget, guys, this is the We're the North Bank show. It's brought to you by 90 Minute. Um, So if you haven't already, head over to any major podcast store, search We're the North Bank and subscribe. Leave us a review there as well. Uh, Myself and Dan uh, will be bringing you a discussion on Arsenal on a weekly basis. So we hope you've enjoyed the show so far uh, and we hope you, of course, enjoy this evening's one. If you are watching us via the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel live, then smash that like button. It is so, so important for the growth of the channel that you do that. So please do that if you haven't already and give the video a like whilst you are at, or I said give it a like, give it a subscribe, I should say, if you haven't already. Right, Dan, the big question, the big discussion that I kind of want to have on on this week's show is is around Mikel Arteta's Arsenal in general. But I think we could probably relate this to the Manchester City game at the weekend. Are Mikel Arteta's Arsenal too defensive? And the reason I ask this, Dan, is because there's been a few games now under Mikel Arteta where I feel as though... And don't get me wrong, I don't want people to take this as me having a go at Mikel Arteta or saying I'm not backing him or not supporting him because it's not the case. I'm one of his biggest fans. But is there an issue that and a concern that we are so defensive that when we do need to switch it up and we should switch it up, like against Manchester City, when they, in my opinion, were there for the taking, we don't know how to flick that switch, to change it and go for broke. Is that a worry for you? Well, listen, I'm a, I'm a huge Mikel Arteta fan as well, but that doesn't mean, unlike some fans, that we can't ask questions of the manager at times. And there has been certain question marks over the coming weeks that I have I've got to ask and he needs to answer because it has been slightly confusing. Where I disagree that we are too defensive is that everybody said when he first took over under Unai Emery that we were fine going forward, but we had nothing at the back. Now he sorted the back out. We're having problems scoring goals and being creative. What fans are so kind of oblivious to, in my opinion, they're scratching their heads wondering why. It's because it's the midfield that has such lack of balance. And that's always been the problem. I don't think the defence has ever been as horrendous or as bad as people have said. 
when you look at the midfield and how poor that has been. And I don't think that we've had an outstanding midfield in the Emirates era. I've never looked at our midfield thinking, I tell you what, one of the best in Europe. Even when we had Cesc Fabregas, who was next to him? Danielson or Song or Coquelin. And then we went to Arteta and Flamini. We've had some poor players, your friend, Granite Chaka. So I'm looking at it now thinking this has been a position that we haven't managed to address for so, so long. And we finally get Thomas Partey in and we're hoping to see that balance because that is something I think we have lacked for so long. And I think once we get him in and mould him into it, um, we start to see a difference in our midfield, which will then put a springboard for our attack. So I'm not so sure that we are so defensive. I think what we've managed to do is certainly uh, shape up and we've, Arteta has made us hard to beat. I think the Gabriel signing has been a good one. Some of his passing was off on Saturday night, I thought, but I like what he's brought to the team. But we're seeing at the moment a left-hand side, which is strong, and a right-hand side, which is extremely weak. And that needs sorting out before we move, move forward, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, when I say are Arsenal too defensive, you know, I, I don't feel like I can have any complaints about the way we approach the game against Manchester City. You know, you're going away to a side who are... are full of talent they've got so much attacking quality that you'd be crazy it would be suicidal almost to go there and try and take the game to Manchester City from the beginning I feel like Arsenal were right in their approach and I feel like Mikel Arteta's approach against all of these so-called bigger sides has been right every single time the problem is is when you need to switch it up when you do concede that goal which inevitably you will when you have Hector Bellerin a David Lewis, a Rob Holding. You know, when you have that level of defender, um, and, you know, I'm not the biggest critic of Bellerin or Lewis, but I just, you know, they're not solid watertight defenders. You're going to have moments where they they get caught out, they get done, we can see goals. Given that, though, there has to be some kind of ability to, to turn it on and to change the game and to go for teams. But even when Mikel Arteta made those changes on Saturday, I still felt like the intensity wasn't there. Why is that? Why is it that we don't have that fire and that sort of energy to then, when we do go a goal behind, take the game to someone and really put them under pressure? I think what's happened at the moment is because we've sorted out our defence, it's taken a knock-on effect. And I think, like I said to you, the midfield, for me, has not got enough athleticism or creativity in it to give teams a go and really have a go at them. And we've seen us be a cup side, really, um, over the last, I'd say, few months. Because it's fair enough beating Liverpool in the Charity Shield and the Carabao Cup and winning the FA Cup. But we want our league form to be transformed into winning those games as well. We just can't seem to get that mentally out of our system. So maybe that is something that we have to take into consideration as well, because football's a lot about mentality as well. But for me, I still stand by it. Our midfield is pretty weak. I think with Danny Ceballos and Granite Chaka, you've got two players who are fairly decent. But I would argue there is probably four or five teams now in the Premier League that have a better midfielder at midfield than us. I would argue that Aston Villa have a better midfield than us with McGinn, Grealish and Barkley. I'd argue that Everton have a better midfield with Decore, James Rodriguez, Andre Gomez and Alan. So I'm sitting there thinking we did not get the players in that we needed in the window, but we tried. We did try. 
But that Hossam Awar signing that we didn't make, I think it's going to come back to haunt us this season. We could get him in January, could get him in the summer. I hope we do. But that could come back to haunt us because there's a lack of creativity in the side. And I'm kind of fed up, Harry, you're talking about what kind of problems we have. I want to know solutions. And that's my question to the manager now is, what is the solution for you to change this? Because there is problems at the moment with our lack of creativity. So who's going to go in that hole? Are you going to play a 10? Are you going to go 4 3 3 and have Sabayas, Chaka, and Party? Or are you going to throw Saka into the mix? Because I think he looks good there. Are you going to bring Pepe in more centrally? Are you going to stick with Willian and see if you can get build on his confidence as a number 10 or into the forward role of a three? That's what I want to be seeing happening now because we are massively lacking in creativity in midfield. And I think it's clear to see. Yeah, I agree with, with most of that. I, I think that, you know, there were a couple of decisions that. Mikel Arteta made at the weekend, which completely baffled me. And I'm going to get your thoughts on them, Dan. Um, I'll just briefly share mine. The Willian as a false nine thing just didn't work. It was an experiment that quite simply failed. I think what Mikel Arteta was thinking, maybe what his kind of way of looking at it was very much of, I did this in the FA Cup semi-final. We played a certain way, but knowing Pep as well as he does, he will have known that Pep isn't going to fall for the same thing twice. And I feel like he was so desperate to try and spring some kind of surprise on on Pep Guardiola that he put all this effort into this plan about the number 10, trying to, uh, number nine, sorry, false nine, trying to expose certain spaces that he will know Manchester City leave because he, he's been a huge part of that team's progress. But, Pep Guardiola didn't fall for it. Pep Guardiola actually completely changed his system as well. And and that made it really difficult for Arsenal. You mentioned Saka in the midfield. For me, Saka was in the midfield because Saka gives you that flexibility in the sense of he can become a left wing back when you don't have the ball, but then he can join in with a play further forward. That's what he brings. That's what he gives you. But at times, I feel like we're so focused on being functional and, and flexible with how our players can shift from different positions that sometimes we forget and we lose the ability to just play our own game. And that is probably one of the criticisms I would level at Mikel Arteta so far. Now, again, I'm not having a go at him. I'm not saying I want him out. I'm not saying I'm unhappy with the job he's done so far. I genuinely do think that if I was in charge, I would have approached the game in exactly the same way. But there has to be a plan B. There has to be a point in the game where you say, you know what, we're going to lose 1-0. We might as well lose 2-0 trying to get back into this game. And he will argue that that we did, that he brought Lacazette on, that he brought Enketia on, that he brought Partey on, etc. But for me, you never really saw that shift in momentum. You never saw that injection of energy, of intensity, and that is the concern. I think when you play 70-odd minutes in a very laboured way, in a very pragmatic way, to then say to a group of players, right, flick the switch, and now you've got to be expansive. Now you've got to take the game to the opponent. Now you're the ones who the onus is on to attack. It, it doesn't happen. And so there has to be a, a happier medium between us being pragmatic and us causing a threat to our opponents. Now, we did have some chances on Saturday, Dan, didn't we? Um, and that's why I think I probably feel a lot more disappointed about a 1-0 defeat at City than I normally would. Overall, was you sort of pleased with the performance? Because it is progress on, on, on recent visits to the Etihad. 
Well, listen, we've been to Anfield and the Etihad and we haven't been embarrassed. And I can't say that I've said that in the last five years. I mean, it's been fives and sixes before, hasn't it? So, yes, we have progressed. We are getting better and rightly so. Arteta, for me, I'm a huge fan, but there was question marks for his team selection on Saturday. There was. Leaving Thomas Party out, even if he is not 100% fit, start him and bring him off if you feel that he ain't going right or his fitness ain't there because it's a huge lift. They would have been looking at that and they would have been seeing uh, the Chaka and Sabayas that they've already used to and thought, oh, phew, they've left party out. Wow, that's a good start. Lifts them straight away, right? Then they see Willian down the middle. Again, question why that was. If you've got to put one of them down the middle, that is not um, Lacazette and it's not Aubameyang, then it has to be Pepe. Because Pepe, over the last few games where he has played centrally, has looked fantastic. And I was hoping when I saw Willian down the middle that it would be, this ain't going to work and he'll change it. But it didn't seem to. I wanted there to be interchanging. There wasn't enough of that for me. And the actual lack of intelligence of Hector Bellerin is quite worrying now. And I don't know how many times it's going to, how long it's going to take for Arteta to give Maitland-Niles a chance there because every time that he's played as a fullback, whether it be right or left, he's been more comfortable on the ball. And I think his attributes are actually better than Hector Bellerin. On the left, sometimes I can understand that Tierney's the better option because obviously crossing the ball with a left's not great. But he seems to have already at 22 years old or 23, whatever Maitland-Niles is, more intelligence than a 25-year-old who's been in the scene since Arsenal was 18 years old. His lack of lack of awareness of where Phil Foden was was Sunday League. You're told as a fullback, do not let that guy cut inside. See him on the outside and block the cross. He can't block the cross because he's let him cut inside. Now Maitland Niles did that in the semi final once against Mares and then did not let it happen again. This guy. And then people can blame Leno all they want. Let's talk about how it got to Leno, yeah? Let's talk about the ball that Mares put, that the Sabios and Chaka were too busy having a cup of tea on the halfway line to even see it fly past them. That ball into Aguero cut them both out of the game. Embarrassing, yeah? Then Aguero gives the ball to Foden and Bellerin's like, where did he come from? Because he's out of position. And then he lets him cut inside. And you can blame Leno all you want for the parry and getting up not quick enough. As far as I'm concerned, if that would have been a 40-yard shot, I'd blame Leno for parrying it. The guy was right in front of him and he smashed it at him. So I'm not blaming the goalkeeper. I'm blaming how it got there, Harry. And Bellerin, for me, it's time to be dropped I think, now. But I, I, think, I think, and we always disagree, Dan, which is why I love having you on the show. We always disagree. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that Bellerin was faultless in the goal. Um, I'm not going to say that the midfield, for me, was the major problem. They'd both pushed on too far. Um, and once Riyad Mahrez cut inside and played that ball into Sergio Aguero, even an unfit Sergio Aguero who carries the ball forward, we're in danger from that moment. Now, the ball gets played out to, to Phil Foden. Now, normally, I'd 100% agree with you where you say you've got to show him on the outside. What happens, though, when it's a player who you know is far weaker on his right foot? Does that change it? Does that make, mean that Bellerin was right to allow Foden to come in in sort of that way? Because let's be honest, Foden's effort was a, a piss poor one. It was a tame effort because it's his wrong foot. You also got to look at what Hector Bellerin's instinct is to do when when 
Aguero plays that ball into Foden. Now, for me, and I've always said this, and if you watch some of the great defensive sides in world football, what do they do? They defend narrow. They defend the width of their penalty area. That has got to be the priority. And so Bellerin has to, he has to, in my opinion, close that gap between himself and the centre-backs in that situation as quickly as possible. Now, if you watch it back again, I actually think that David Lewis... Um, has to carry a little bit of the blame here because when Phil Foden is kind of where the door is closed for him to go on the outside with his left foot, which is his strongest foot, there's a it looks like there's a lack of, uh, I guess, aggression, lack of intensity, lack of effort from David Lewis to get back and close that angle. Bellerin's on the turn. Bellerin's running back. David Lewis, for me, has got to do more to get there and help his right back out. That's my personal opinion. But when the shot comes into, into Leno, Dad, for me, he's got to parry it into a better area. And the reason I got so wound up about this, so irate about this, is because it's not the first time that Bern Leno's done this. He does it time and time again. It's a constant feature in his game. Even at Liverpool, even at Anfield, there was a save he made where he was getting... All the praise in the world from the Arsenal fan base for making this one particular save from a header, if you remember it. I think it was in the first half. He dived back across his goal and he puts it right in the danger area. Now, you've got time in those instances. And I'm not saying that, you know, all goalkeepers parry into the right areas all of the time. But that's the difference between a top world-class goalkeeper and Alisson and a Burn Leno. That is the difference for me. And, and I can't help but feel like... Whilst Hector Bellerin's getting a lot of heat for this goal, it was a catalogue of errors that led to that goal. It was a poor goal to concede. But, you know, beyond that, Arsenal didn't really give up a great deal to Manchester City. And that's what makes this defeat even more frustrating. I think Bellerin's been better of late. I think Bellerin looks OK. And there's obviously a reason that Mikel Arteta keeps picking him. Um, I think it's probably... Because he's Spanish and his mate. Because, nah, come on, man. Come <laughs> on. That's, I don't know. I, I think that Hector Bellerin ha is on the way to getting back to kind of the defender that he was. Um, not quite there. Well, when the was minute, that, though? When was that, do you think? Because for me, man, it's been like this since 2016. This is not an injury that's done this to him. I think he's been poor yeah, for a few years, mate. I, I think you've got to be fair, Dan, and, and, and understand that the team as a whole have been an absolute shambles defensively for years. They've allowed certain players to be exposed time and time again. You you said yourself that you've said it on previous shows that you've seen an improvement in Xhaka since Arteta's come in. That's not a coincidence. Xhaka's not a better player than he was two years ago, but the system is there that leaves him less exposed. If you look at the days under Unai Emery as well, for example, all of our attacking focus was, was on the fullbacks. The fullbacks were getting up and down the pitch all the time. Of course, they're going to end up sort of getting exposed at times. I, I just think that, I don't know, I think Bellerin's had some really, really good games under Mikel Arteta and I think he's had some bad ones as well. Uh, the level of consistency is certainly not there. I agree with you on that, but I'm not sure that he was solely to blame for that goal at Manchester City. Just my view. Um, the other end of the pitch though, Dan, some people are starting to sort of have concerns about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I think those concerns are uh, premature. I think it was another game, another prime example of him being isolated. What did you make of his performance? 
Well, everyone's comparing it to Urzu and De Gea, aren't they? Sign a huge contract and you, you you disappear in terms of your form. This guy's a goal machine and he'll always score goals. I don't care what anyone says. This guy's consistently done it for Dortmund and Arsenal and he will continue to do that. I think what's happening with him at the moment is, like I said, in terms of transition, I think he's being affected by that and so is Pepe and William and so is Lacazette. And there's a there's a confidence drop when strikers don't score. And there's the, when are they going to get that chance? When are they going to get that slot? And Aubameyang's in that at the moment. Lacazette's got three in the last four. Um, Willian in his first game against Fulham looked amazing. And since then has dropped off. Pepe struggled for consistency. And I think he's probably at the moment a sub, like he was against Sheffield United when he come on and transformed the second half. Aubameyang, for me, he's been in the team and that must affect him because the others have been in and off, on and off. He's been in the team, in his position where he's been scoring on the left-hand side and it still hasn't been working for him. Now, he had a bit of a half chance, didn't he? I mean, I know that it wasn't really a, a one-on-one or something like that, but I just think he needs that one goal and all of a sudden you'll see him fly. But this transition thing is an issue, Harry, and I think the lack of creativity is not going to help him. He's had a couple of seasons now where he's probably carried us. And at the moment, we're asking him to do it again in this side and he's not going to be able to do it all the time. So it is going to take him a couple of games where he doesn't score a goal. But I know the player is good enough. And once he does get the goal, he is a confidence player, as we saw in the last project restart of how fantastic he was once he got a couple of goals he then went and got five in Wembley in three games so once he gets one or two behind his belt which I believe he will I think we'll see the the original Aubameyang that everybody um, loves in an Arsenal shirt yeah I agree with you I'm not I'm not concerned about Aubameyang but it is something that a lot of fans have raised a lot of fans have questioned whether he's um, got the contract and now that's it but you know I think that's very harsh to say um, and that that is jump into conclusions isn't it when there's no uh, no real need um I know another player that you're a huge fan of is Mesut Ozil he has been left out of Arsenal's Premier League squad that was submitted um to the authorities today I think we all saw that coming no surprises there no, not at all, man. Let's look, listen, let's hope that we don't have to see him in an Arsenal shirt again. 2021, roll on. Not just him, by the way. There's a few players that need to go. Socrates, Mustafi, Kalasanak is on that list as well. But for me, listen, if we're saving the 100 grand a week and that's the excuse they want to use, that's fine by me as long as I don't see him in an Arsenal shirt again. The guy's done. And people are saying we lack creativity. He's certainly not an option. I'd rather play Willock or Smith Rowe than him. Why is he not an option? Better. Why is he not so an again? option? Why is he not an option? Urzil or Willock? No, Urzil. I'd argue that Urzil is, is better than Willock. He's better than Smith Rowe. He's better than half the players that are playing in that Arsenal team at the moment. It's not a question of ability. Mesut Urzil's got that in an abundance. Yeah. Uh, and you hit the nail on, on the head yourself when you said that if the club are using, uh, it's an excuse for the club to save some money on appearance fees, then as a fan who doesn't give a shit about appearance fees and doesn't give a shit about finances... I want to see him in the team. If that's the excuse they're using, I don't care as long as he don't, I don't see him in an Arsenal shirt. The guy's attitude stinks. He's done. The PR stunts are getting boring now. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't fit into Arteta's way. He doesn't fit into Arteta's attitude of the, of the, around the dressing room. So I would argue that he's not better than Willock and Smith-Rowe because Willock has got more goals than him in the last two seasons. And I believe he's probably got as, about as many assists as Willian in the last of this season in the last three seasons. So I would say that we aren't missing him. I would say we're not missing his goals because he doesn't score them. We're not missing his assists because he doesn't assist anymore. So what are we missing? What are we actually missing from Mesut Ozil apart from someone who swans around, does the bare minimum and 
wants to save Dinosaurus Rex. I mean, I know you don't like the guy, and I know that you don't particularly rate him, but I mean, I've got to disagree. He's technically, we, the, best. Got... He's technically the best we've got, Harry. I've not, I've not disagreed with that. But at the moment, something's not right. So why is it in three seasons he's got... What is it? But, but do you believe? Do you, got eleven in one. Do you believe? Do you believe that the reason he's not in the team is for football reasons? Do you honestly think that Mikel Arteta, who came into the club and picked him every single week without fail, prior to to everything that went on with the pay cuts and stuff, has just all of a sudden decided that I don't want this guy? He's not right. I don't rate him anymore. He's crap. I don't need him. Do you honestly think that's the case? Do you not think that this is being driven by an agenda from upstairs? Which is why, as a fan, I'm disappointed in it. You know, if, if if he's picking him and he's not playing well, then then leave him out by all means. If you've got him on the bench, that's fine by me. If you don't think he fits the system, but nobody can make a genuine argument as to why Mesut Ozil was not good enough from a footballing perspective to be at least a part of this squad, which suggests that it's something else, which suggests it's a problem behind the scenes. And as a football fan. And as someone who cares about the team and wants the team to do as best as they possibly can, how can we get behind the club in this in this argument? Because they're not putting football first. As you said, you hit the nail on the head. This is about finance. This is about PR. This is about saving face. That's what drives me mad. The thing is, though, is you say that he was getting in. He was getting in there about the fact that he was being picked by Arteta. I don't think he was playing well. I didn't see him playing out of his skin. I didn't see him giving 110%. I didn't see him getting into the stage where it's like, do not drop me because look what I am creating for you. Look how many assists or look at these passes I'm putting onto Aubameyang. Look at what I'm doing for Lacazette. The last time he assisted was a header to Lacazette. That was the last time and that was the last game before we weren't allowed in the stadium against West Ham. That's the last contribution that he had or the first contribution, should I say, in seasons where he assisted. So I can't get behind the fact that he's he's um, I can get behind the fact, sorry, that he's technically good enough. I can't get behind the fact that he deserves to be in this team and be given a chance. This guy's had a chance for six years. I've been talking abuse about it. I've been receiving abuse about this guy for so long. People have been talk saying I'm talking rubbish about Meza Ozil, but proving the pudding. This guy, his attitude is awful. And this is why he will never be a R9, a Zidane, a player that technically he could be as good at but he's not got it up there to get him to that stage and that level. And they needed a lovely manager like Arsene Wenger to give him a cuddle every game. And Arteta's ruthless. He's not that man. Arteta is going to say, do you want to fit into this attitude of this team or do you not? And he's decided not to. So but, but, I don't but really do you honestly th Do you honestly think that though? Do you honestly think that this is purely from Mikel Arteta's side? I think so. That's, that's my question to you. I don't think that we know the full story and I don't think we ever will. I think I think we will in, in years to come and we'll find out when books are brought out and stuff like that. But what I believe personally is that there has been some attitude problems in terms of missed meetings, the pay cut situation, the PR stunts that he's just fought. And then I'm talking about Mikel Arteta here. I don't want that around the club. I don't want that from Guendouzi. I don't want that from Meza Ozil. He didn't want it from Maitland-Niles, Ceballos, Pepe. They're the ones that have proven themselves. They're the ones that have changed their attitude. Granite Chaka can be put into that as well. Mesut Ozil has not done that. 
Mesut Ozil was sulked. Mesut Ozil was got onto Instagram. Mesut Ozil was kissed the badge. Mesut Ozil loves London, loves Arsenal, apparently. And now he wants to pay for the Gunnosaurus Rex, which, by the way, is because he was given another £8 million by Gazidis and Wenger for staying in his final year of his contract. I just can't stand the guy, and I cannot wait to see the back of him, man. I'm sick to death of the guy. I I think he's he's offered to pay the, well he offered to pay the Gunnosaurus didn't he because he wants to make a point he wants to make a point that he was willing to give up money if it was going to save jobs Arsenal took money from the players they, they the pay cuts went through and people still lost their jobs and that's where as much as I disagree with some of the crap he's done I do think that he has got some case here he has got some reason to be upset with a club let's quickly have a look what the guys are saying in the live comments lots of you um getting fired up during that Mesut Ozil debate which I love to see uh, in the live chat let's have a quick look uh, Omar says love it when Dan goes in on Ozil um D says uh, he is not here to play his attitude does stink Arteta needs players who will run and work hard all game not him he's done uh, Arsenal granny also agrees with you says totally agree with Potsy Great screen name. I say it every time. But I love it. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Big hello to Fergus. Check out the Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast as well. Uh, he says Ozil is a class player, but he's not suited to the Premier League. Um, Russ Morgan says, I love the passion of you guys on both sides of the fence regarding Ozil. Uh, Chris says Ozil in a 10 and Partey and Xhaka to balance the midfield. That's the best solution or buy a creative player in January. Um, and this is what I mean. This is such a divisive subject, isn't it? There's so many comments. Um, Kevin Campbell, big hello to Kevin Campbell, former Arsenal striker. He's having his say as well. Um, he says, Ozil is yesterday's news and Arsenal have tasted success without him. Yes, Casey. See, I he knows what he's talking about. I, Casey, <laughs> I love you, mate. I really do. But respectfully, I disagree with you guys, both of you, on Mesut Ozil. There is no way that anybody's going to convince me that for purely footballing reasons alone, he is at least not good enough. Or he is not good enough, sorry, to at least be... In that first, uh, in that first sixteen, eighteen players, he is good enough to be in that squad. The fact that he's not in the squad is purely down to politics, and that is why, as an Arsenal fan, I cannot back the club on this. I cannot do it. You know, I want to see Arsenal as successful as possible on the pitch. And when you watch games like the one on Saturday, games like the one against Sheffield United, games like the one against West Ham, where for large portions we were lacking creativity. I can't get behind the fact that he's just being overlooked. When people talk about creativity, it's not just about the number of assists you get. That's not all that creativity is. Creativity can be the pass before the pass that leads to the goal. It can be just keeping the ball flowing, keeping the ball moving, pulling people out of positions. And that's why I also get frustrated when people pull out the, the assist stat. Because for me, that is, you know, it, it, that's not the the be all and end all and it doesn't tell the full story but he's the assist king mate that's the only reason he's been loved by everybody because he's assist king now he's not even that so what is he now 
he's a very, very good footballer. One that is better than Joe Willock and better than Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, let's go uh, to Dee Cunningham. Thank you so much for your very, very kind donation, Dee. Very much appreciated. Says, Harry, please, there is no such thing as a club's best interest versus footballing reasons. It all matters. He needs to go. Dan's right. I agree that he needs to go in the long term. There's no point in keeping hold of him if, you don't, if this is going to keep happening. But while he's there, why not use him if it will improve the team? And I believe it will. Um, right. In other news, um, Mesut Ozil was not the only one who was left out of that uh, Premier League squad. Socrates was also left out. He is uh, he is uh, gone. He won't. Well, he's not gone, but he will not be part of Arsenal's Premier League squad, um, which will be disappointing for him because he, he thought about a move away. I think there were offers on the table. Um Nothing could be agreed in the end uh, for the Greek defender and he will remain at Arsenal. But of course, he's been cast out in the cold, not in the Europa League squad and not in the Premier League squad, which will be disappointing uh, for him. Just quickly, Dan, before we round up, I want to get your thoughts on some of the news that has been doing the rounds today. And that is with regards to Manchester United and Liverpool and this European Super League. Oh. First, they put together the Project Big Picture plan. And then they voted against it, which I found really, really strange. And now we're hearing talks of a European Premier League. Um, Dan, this could be the end of football as we know it. They're trying to do their best to ruin it, aren't they? And if this comes in, they would have succeeded. You know, we've seen these new things coming with VAR, with new rules, with lack of understanding of what's going on on a football pitch in terms of the uh, officials. And now we're seeing this. This, for me will be the only thing, if it comes in, that makes me fall out of love with football. Because the Premier League division is the best in the world, so why change it? It gets to a stage where you look at one reason that this is being talked about, and it's money. Money is all they care about. Money is the only reason that football is still happening right now during COVID. And now you've got to a stage where they want to do this. This is going to ruin so much about the game that we grew up loving and we still continue to love. Yeah. Whether your team wins or loses, you love the game. This is the beautiful game. And the beautiful game is football. The beautiful game for me is Premier League football at this, at this, um, at this current time, particularly around what's happening at the moment with the amount of goals we're seeing, with the crazy results, uh, what the title is wide open. You don't get that in any other league. There's no other league out there where Manchester United could lose to Fulham. And people would not be shocked because it happens in the Premier League. That will all be taken away from it. And I just think that they're trying so hard now to take away the, the games that we grew up with. We grew up loving the FA Cup. That's nowhere near as huge as it used to be now. Why? Because it's all about money, because it's all about Europe. And now it's going to be, we grew up loving the Premier League. And now it's all about the European League with the PSG versus Man United on a Saturday at three o'clock. What a, what a joke. What an absolute shambles. That, what's that going to do to the Champions League games? What's that going to do to the Europa League games? Well, it's going to kill. Do? It's going to kill the kill Champions it. League. It's going to kill the Champions League. I can't stand it, and I do not want to see it happen. But I regretfully believe, in the next five to ten years, it will be the norm, and Arsenal will be in it eventually because I believe we're on the up, and we'll be playing Juventus instead of Burnley. Yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 so the, I guess the proposal that is in place would mean that 
the it's not going to take away the Premier League as far as I understand it. The Premier League will still exist, but this European Premier League will replace, I guess, the Champions League, and it will be like league. There'll be league fixtures um, between the sides, and then we'll have. Um, a knockout phase at the end of that competition to decide the winners. The thing is that I'm not dead against a reform of the European competition, but what I'm scared of is that it takes away from the Premier League. The Premier League will still be there, Dan. That's not going to go. It will still be, you know, the Premier League as we know it, but we'll have this competition, the European Premier League. And I feel like this is, this is, a dangerous way to go about it. I, I really like the Champions League in its current format. Uh, but then again, you know, people were sceptical about when the Champions League took its its format. We were like, well, well, I wasn't, I was too young, but there were people who were against it. And for me, that's proven to be a fantastic competition. So I don't want to completely shut my mind off to it because I like you, I think it probably will happen. But I mean, there just isn't the appeal for... You know, like yesterday, one of the pay-per-view games was West Bromwich Albion versus Burnley. Now, with all due respect to the to the supporters of those clubs, who the hell is going to pay fourteen ninety five to watch that game? Very, very few people. And so, it's all about it's all about the um, the, the the sort of audiences. And Arsene Wenger made a great point in one of his interviews that he's been doing recently about the fact that the local supporters are. are you know, are fading away and it is more about these big super clubs and these people who are talking about this European Super League and funding it are, are, are planning to cash in on that sort of hysteria around the big clubs. Uh, KC uh, in the comments says it will take away from the Premier League because the clubs involved will prioritise there where they make the most money. Football is at a crossroads now. Yeah, uh, it will take away great from... Point. It's a yeah. great point from Kevin. It is... It will take away from the Arsenal Burnley, the Arsenal Sheffield United, the Arsenal, you know, against the lower sort of side. But what, when I said it's not going to take away, I mean the Premier League as a competition will still exist. It will still exist. The, the proposal is not to scrap domestic leagues. Yeah, see, play, I didn't know what, uh, what, it, what the proposal was. I had it come out today and that's what I took it as. And I thought, really? Like, we're not going to have a Premier League now? So if that's not the case, no. then that's, that's obviously no, massive. But, Massive. The Premier League will still be there. That's the mm. proposal. The Premier League will still be there, but this European Premier League will also take place. Does that mean the scrapping of some of the domestic cups or does it mean the clubs that take part in the European Premier League don't take part in the domestic cups? I don't know. Um, FIFA are said to be backing it, which is a worry. Uh, biggest governing body in football. And if they're behind it, it's a problem. But we're we're hoping, um, and as Arsenal Granny points out in the comments, that UEFA will fight this because UEFA... And how were they decided, these teams? Through league positions or what? Or this is the thing. History? It's, I mean? it's, yeah, exactly. It's uh, The founders are going to be protected apparently for 20 years which means they can't be relegated from the competition for 20 <laughs> odd years that's some of the stuff we're hearing about Jesus so it sounds like a complete mess and a complete shit show so I don't uh, wish to see it happen um, I think we could see something like that though take shape in the next few years watch this space I wouldn't be surprised if it did right um, that brings us to the end of this show uh, just going to give you guys a quick uh, heads up 
Subscribe to We're The North Bank on all major podcast stores. Uh, it's the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. We're streaming via the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel at the moment. So check that out too. Like, subscribe everywhere. Big hello to the listeners that have come over to us from uh, the Pain in the Arsenal podcast. Um, so a big hello to each and every one of you guys as well who's joining us on these shows moving forward. Um, check out Dan on Twitter at DanArsenal87 um, and we'll be back very, very soon with more. Lots of discussion, lots of debate, uh, lots to get our teeth stuck into and I hope you guys all stay safe um, and we'll be back very, very soon with more. So until then, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.